Broadcasting from the ESPN Radio Studios in Tallahassee, Florida, and in partnership with the JoeBucksFan.com Podcasting Network, this is the Joe Bolts Fan Podcast with Tom Lang. Line right, you got Maroon by the net. A wraparound try, loose in front, Pallad, score! Pallad, Pallad, Andre Pallad, the Lightning win it, 4-3! What a difference 25 hours can make. This is the Joe Bolts Fan Podcast, part of the JoeBucksFan.com podcasting network, brought to you all postseason long by our friends at Bill Curry Ford. My name is Tom Lang, and what a difference a couple of days can make. If we did this podcast on, say, Monday morning of this week, we'd have a lot to lament, a lot of negatives to talk about. And, you know, those negatives would start with the culture of complacency rearing its head again for Tampa Bay, how they weren't prepared in a game one. It wasn't until about the midway point of that game that you started to see effort, intensity, focus, and how unforgivable that is. But the silver lining of Monday's podcast would have been that the back half of the game, Tampa Bay figured it out. It looked like they figured out what Boston was trying to do, and the Bruins had gone into a prevent defense type of shell of 3 nothing, and they were unable to flip the switch back on. Tampa Bay nearly tied it, and maybe that portends of good things in games 2 and 3. Instead, we're doing a podcast on Thursday morning because games 2 and 3 were rousing successes for Tampa Bay. Not just by the razor-thin margin of a 4-3 overtime win in Game 2, but the way the game was carried, the way the game was played, the flow of the game, and how Tampa, indeed, looks like it has figured out, for the most part, what Boston is trying to do. Three games were available to the Tampa Bay Lightning between the last time we spoke and this morning, August the 27th, and Tampa Bay procured two wins out of those three games. We have a 2-1 series advantage here. Second round Eastern Conference playoff against the President's Trophy champion, Boston Bruins. Now, one of my buddies, Tyler, texted me last night. He said, I'm interested to hear how the pod goes. My response to him is what I'm going to tell you because I'm transparent here. It's going to be a happy podcast, but it's not going to be 1970s roller skating in a disco bar singing Celebrate Good Times kind of happy. We have answered the bell. We have the series advantage. We have a chance to really stake a claim in this series Friday night, 7.30 on USA Network. But, I mean, you know, it's two wins out of four. Halfway there. And honestly, there's enough to clean up. But what about those positives? What about the effort we've seen since the midway point in game one? Even with the absorbing of an injury to a top four defenseman in Ryan McDonough, we've seen a lot of things that Tampa can hang its hat on. We've seen offensive pressure. We've seen uh, the awakening of a power play. Get into that today for sure. And we've seen, you know, a group that has become greater than the sum of its parts when I'm speaking specifically about that defensive core. Tampa Bay went 11-7 and for games two and three, meaning 11 forwards and 7-D. What they're trying to do is break up the minutes, reduce the risk factor, um of having somebody who is inexperienced or not, if not inexperienced, I mean, they're not up to speed. They're not up to the game speed of the Stanley cup playoffs. When you bring in a Braden Coburn and a Luke Shen, who have played a couple minutes in one warm-up game in the round Robin, um, there's going to be a bit of a curve to get up to game speed. Practice can only do so much. So you had your bets 
And in case somebody has an off night, you have seven defensemen available. You know, Mitchell Stevens and Carter Verhage can bring something to you, but if you double shift somebody every once in a while, it's not that big of a deal. You can cover for that, especially when the greater need is to address the fact that you lost one of your top four defensemen. And for the balance of these two games, plus a few minutes of overtime in which Pally takes us home, the defenses look pretty good. Uh, you know, I, I think in, in game two, they were a little bit out of sorts because you have all kinds of pairing shufflings. And, you know, Chernak isn't playing with McDonough, so therefore he's going to play with Shattenkirk at times. Uh, Coburn and Shen, even though they're the two new defensemen, are not always going to play together exclusively. Bogosian's mixed around, and of course, Hedman is going to carry the day for over 30 minutes. But what you lose in that equation is the instinctive knowledge. It's, it's like offensive line play in football. You know, the group of five practice together a bunch so they know that when situation A arrives, this is where my line mate is going to be. When situation Z arrives, he's going to do that. That's how it works with a defensive pairing in hockey. you got to know, you got to have an understanding, almost like telepathy, about where your other guy is going to be. And, and we had a, a hard time with that in game two. It's very predictable. But managed our way around it and found a way to win the game in overtime. You know, uh, you could look at the third period if you just take a general viewpoint of, say, the box score or you're following uh, the game center in, in the NHL app and say Tampa blew a 3-2 lead late. They had a chance to close it out. They didn't get the job done. Game two was not one of those 60-minute affairs, 65 minutes, where I thought we sat back and we allowed Boston to come back. That was very much a, a heavyweight tilt of two clubs that are really gifted and they're just battling back and forth. A lot of times you'll you'll hear me say that Tampa Bay lost its way and allowed a team to come back or or the complacency set in. And so therefore we didn't keep our foot on the throat of the opponent. That's not the case in game two, certainly not the case in game three. But you know, sometimes really good hockey teams respond. That's what we did, that's what Boston did, and we found a way to win in overtime. And and I got to tell you the most encouraging thing of this series so far was game 2's overtime performance, stifling Tampa Bay just took the air out of everything Boston wanted to do, possessed the puck for essentially the entirety of those five-plus minutes, and they got the job done, and they finished it with a greasy goal around the net. Patty Maroon gets the primary assist. It's just that that was Tampa Bay Lightning Hockey 2.0 under Cooper. That's exactly what you're looking for. It's a nothing innocent play at the blue line to hold it in. Actually, we did it twice. And the next thing you know, there's traffic around the net and you finish in the dirty scoring area that defines so many playoff series. It's kind of a, you know, it's not the exact same play, but it's a similar result as how we walked off Boston a couple of years ago in one of our overtime games where you just got to get around the net, create havoc, and then finish if you have the opportunity. That's what Palat did, and then he jumped into the arms of Pat Maroon. Last night's game, game three, I thought we got a couple of bounces to put us in position to succeed. And then we cashed in. And we and we showed the maturity outside of the last two minutes or so in the second period. We showed the maturity that we know how to close games. And so we're going to make sure that we do close the game. I was a little bit surprised in the third period that Boston didn't bring a little bit more grit to the equation. You'd figure, being down so much with 20 minutes to go, a statement would be made. But it looked like Boston just wanted to get the hell out of the rink. They wanted to be done. 15 minutes that third period went by in about 21, 22 minutes of real time. It was incredibly quick. And Boston's going to gear up for game four. 
but the specifics of winning a hockey game 7-1, to one, the power play looks better. Is it completely fixed? No. But the power play finally notches you a couple of huge goals. And what Tampa Bay has been doing is not always sustainable in the playoffs. And that is we hold a distinct advantage at even strength. We are doing great things five on five. But the power play has been holding us back. And the penalty kill has been B or B minus level. So special teams has been costing Tampa the ability to dominate games. What you saw last night is when special teams, you're looking at the goal differential in that battle, when it's in Tampa's favor, the Lightning have a chance to dominate because we do such a good job five on five. The depth of what we bring to the forward group with our seven defensemen, even without Ryan McDonough, it's going to win out more than it's not. And so if you can get one power play goal, let alone three, our chances of winning go up exponentially. And I'm just proud of the guys for responding. And I've got to tell you, a couple of things that John Cooper did I thought were really, really smart. I will always be quick to rip him because of his past failures. And those are documented and they cannot be changed. And there was a failure to not be ready to go in game one. However, they responded. And here's some of the good things that he did. Number one, to go 11-7 with the absence of Ryan McDonough is a really smart move. Why? Two reasons. Number one, you have a back-to-back in game two and three. So you got to space out the minutes as much as you can. Number two, as I said earlier, insurance against Luke Shen or Braden Coburn not being up to speed. Or Kevin Shattenkirk being terrible because he's had his poor moments so far in this series. So you've got insurance policies. With seven out there, all right. If somebody's not feeling it tonight, I'm going to give uh, Zach Bogosian 17 minutes instead of 14 minutes. I'm going to give Luke Shen 15 minutes instead of 12. Whatever it is, you've got more options. That was smart. So you got the back-to-back. You've got an insurance policy. And then also, if you have to double-shift somebody like a Nikita Kucherov or an Andre Pallad or a Yanni Gord, is that really worse than playing Mitchell Stevens or Carter Verhage? I'm a big fan of Mitchell Stevens, but if Kucherov is feeling it enough or Point is feeling it enough that he can give me an extra two or three minutes along with Yanni Gord, that quote-unquote extra player, that extra forward that you're double-shifting, you're probably better off for it. So kudos to Cooper for that. Second thing that he did is the adjustment, and his staff did, because I know that um, Todd runs the uh, runs the power play. You're shifting Nikita Kucherov around. We've become entirely too predictable on the power play. They're shading to the right circle. This is from the offensive perspective, so you're looking at the top of your uh, you know, diagram chart is the goal, and the bottom is the blue line, so that's how you're looking at it. Kucherov has been in that right circle for the bulk of his career. No Stamkos, no need to shade anywhere else but Nikita Kucherov. With Stamkos on the ice, you've got to play it perfectly symmetric, symmetrically. Instead, you shade to Kuch and you dare somebody else to score. And Boston schematically had it all figured out. Your point man, Mikhail Sergachev, is not nearly as good as Victor Hedman. So now you're down a couple of things. Steven Stamkos shot. Victor Hedman's decisiveness. And Kucherov is limited. So what did the Lightning do? Finally, we made an adjustment. Great job by the coaching staff. Nikita Kucherov to the left circle confused the heck out of Boston. I don't understand why necessarily. All you got to do is shade the other way. 
but Boston had been befuddled even before last night's success. They tried it in game two, and it, and it generated some looks. And it was a great adjustment, and it paid off in a big way in game three. There's not much Boston can do about Nikita lingering outside of the neutral zone and then entering, uh, if, we have, if we have puck control, entering the offensive zone with some speed. There's not much you can do about that from a schematic standpoint. That's a really nice play. And in fact, Kucherov and Sergachev tried to run that play a little bit earlier in the game, and Kuch was mad at 98 for not running it the right way. But then they go back to it. They cash in on Sergei's huge goal. But that, all in all, is a, is a really big adjustment. And we'll see what Boston does moving forward here. Um, there are going to be times when you're disappointed in the performance of the defenseman, when you're disappointed in the performance of a checking line against the Boston Bruins. Pasternak is arguably the best player in this series, even though Boston is down 2-1. to one. I know Victor Hedman's played well. Braden Point's played well. Vassy. Yeah, a lot of guys have played well. But when Pasternak has the puck, he does all kinds of crazy stuff. He could possess it. He has the vision to go find somebody. He has the shot to beat anybody. And you you kind of just do what you did with Keith Primo back in the day in 2004 when that line is on the ice. You hold your breath and hope, especially if you turn it over coming out of your zone or if they have possession of the puck, they enter the zone with speed. You're unable to get a stick on it and deflect, uh, deflect the puck away, disrupt their timing. You just have to hold your breath. That line is going to win some battles. And they did last night, but it didn't matter. Our depth is our strength. If we play with discipline, we're going to be in really, really good shape moving forward. But I'm not going to sit here today on the 27th and say, two to one series advantage. Tampa Bay has figured Boston out for the better part of the last two and a half games. And so, therefore, series over. It's not that simple. Boston's really good. And a couple of bounces went our way last night. I haven't mentioned that yet. The first power play goal is a one-timer by Andre Palat in Nikita Kucherov's typical spot. Goes off Zdeno Chara's stick. Got to get the puck to the net to get a bounce like that. But still, it's a fortunate bounce. And then you've got a slew foot from the linesman that allows Yanni Gore to score 15 seconds later. Puck luck. Remember this. It's kind of like going golfing with somebody who always complains about the bad breaks they get. That they want to hit the ball, you know, uh, they want to hit a cut on command underneath a tree and hook it around, but it hit the branch. They say, well, what a bad break. Well, golf has a funny way of giving you bounces and taking them away. But you got to remember the ones you get in order to appreciate the fact that the game can be really goofy sometimes. And so we should all appreciate in the same way that Yanni Gord's goal last night is very much puck luck. It's the hockey gods saying, we're shining down on you today, Tampa Bay. Stanley, maybe he does, in fact, need a tan. It gives you hope. But remember it the next time we get screwed. Because we certainly did in the beginning of game two where Zach Bogosian sticks snaps. And then the next thing you know, Andre Vasilevsky does not get the benefit of a whistle with the puck underneath his pads. Was it under control? No. But a lot of goalies in that situation will get a call. They'll get a whistle. A quick one. How many times have you seen it over the years? If you watch a ton of hockey, you see the scrum around the net, the whistle blows, the puck goes in the net, and the referee waves it off and says, sorry, boys, I lost sight of the puck. Play over. I don't care that it's in the back of the net. We did not get the benefit of those two calls. But last night, a couple of huge bounces go our way. Patrice Bergeron is not trying to intentionally high-stick Andre Pilat, but a stick check, poor stick management and control, hits Pilat in the face. Next thing you know, Sergeyev scores 3-0, and that made the game feel that much different. 3-0. 2-0 was nice. 3-0 you started to believe. In the next segment, I will get into a great bolt breakdown. 
take a look at the guys, how, how they're performing so far through three games. But before I do that, no, it's not a live read. I'll do the live read in the second segment as well. But before I do that, there was a moment last night that I thought encapsulated all of my hopes for where the Lightning are, how far they've come, and what they have yet to do and yet to accomplish. And here's the moment. You've got a breakaway for Boston. Zach Bogosian is hustling his butt off. And just before, I forget who it was. It wasn't McAvoy. I think it was 70-something. But just before the shot can be released, Bogosian, with a perfect stick check, clears the puck out. That is a great hustle play on its own. But what I saw on the NBC slash world feed, right, is that the bench went absolutely berserk for Bogosian in that moment. And Zach's had a good series. But the bench goes nuts, and you see Nikita Kucherov fired up in a way that reminds me of how Ovi was fired up when celebrating the Stanley Cup, when Ovi was a bat out of hell all over the ice. And that tells me that these guys are really engaged. And that's not always the case with Tampa. It's what makes us so frustrated to be a Lightning fan is, is sometimes, I mean, just go back to game one and look at Nikita Kucherov's body language. It's worse than standard Nikita Kucherov. It's disinterested Nikita Kucherov. And that drives you nuts because you think, how can you be so nonchalant on the ice? How can your eyes be caught in the rafters looking at Toronto's Stanley Cup banner from 75 years ago? How can you feel that way? How can you skate that way? How can you look that way? They don't right now. Nikita looks engaged. In that moment, you saw a defensive play get guys to stand up on their feet, hoop and holler, and be galvanized. That energy gives me hope that we are dialed in in a way that we haven't been before. But here's the key. A 2-1 to series victory and a blowout win over Boston, or a 2-1 to series lead, excuse me, and a, and a blowout victory over Boston. In the past, that has allowed for the culture of complacency to rise to the top the next time we take the ice. There are two things to watch here. They're separate things, but they can appear the same. So here's the key for game four as we watch it. Boston is going to make adjustments and come out and play hard. Just because they control the play doesn't mean that we're not trying. However, history indicates that there's a really good chance that we do not come out and skate with the intensity necessary to win. It can look the same as Boston taking control of the game. But watch very closely to see how engaged we are to be in a fight in game four. Right out the gate. Not take 10 minutes, not take a period and a half. Are we ready to go? Boston will be, and hell, with that top line, they're going to control some shifts. I would fully expect and imagine. But are we mature enough now to take a huge win, flush it, and be ready to go less than 48 hours later? That is the next test for Tampa Bay. We've done a lot of things better this year than in years past. Sticking into our philosophy, our structure of how to make things work offensively. Gritty goals, pucks to the net, puck possession, cycling, dump and chase, all that stuff. We've done a really good job. John Cooper and that coaching staff deserve tons of praise. But the last hurdle to clear is the culture of complacency. Will Tampa do so game four Friday night? 
The Great Bolt Breakdown, right after this. It's about time for The Great Bolt Breakdown right here on the Joe Bolts Fan Podcast, which you can get, by the way, if you're listening on JoeBucksFan.com. It's on Apple Music. It's on Google Music, Podbean, Anchor, whatever the podcast source you like. It's where you drive your favorite audio podcasts. We're there. Just search Joe Bolts Fan. It's all one word, and you'll find the podcast. If you want to rate it, too, feel free. I'm not one of those types to stump for five stars if you don't believe it's five stars, but if you do, fire away, and I do appreciate that. Before we get going with the Great Bolt Breakdown, Bill Curry Ford, General Manager Sean Sullivan, will help you personally by phone, email, or in person at their giant showroom on Dale Mabry Highway, one mile north of Raymond James Stadium. That's the kind of service you get from Bill Curry Ford, Tampa's first family of Ford, and owned by the Curry family for the past 60 years. Shop now at BillCurryFord.com, and you'll see the incredible 0% financing offers for 72 months and the signature nationwide lifetime warranty on new and used vehicles. For more information, be sure to head to BillCurryFord.com. And if you see GM Sullivan, tell him thanks for supporting Hockey Talk in Tampa Bay. And so, without much further ado, this is the Great Bolt Breakdown. Had to get in the spirit with the music a little bit, ACDC. And, of course, as you know, I go numerically in order because that's how the Game Center app works in NHL.com. And I'll give you my thoughts on everybody who's performed so far the first three games of the series. Ryan McDonough is out with injury after game one. We'll see if he returns. Uh, The news isn't great on him. But I got to tell you, the defense has looked pretty solid with Ryan McDonough out of the lineup. And that's a huge chunk of ice time that you're missing night in, night out. Luke Shen is one of those defensemen. He's been fine. Luke Shen played, let's see, last night. He got a couple extra minutes because of the score. 13-31. He's been fine. Serviceable, not noticeable, and that's exactly what we're looking for. Tyler Johnson, that line has been okay against Boston. They had a little bit more jump against Columbus, but, you know, if you're asking Sorelli, Kalorn, and Johnson to face off against Bergeron, Marchand, and Pasternak, well, they're going to look pretty bad in some moments, and they're going to look anonymous in the offensive zone because, well, they're not on the ice that often in order to score. They're there to check and play defense. Cedric Paquette, fourth liner, set him and forget him as long as he doesn't take stupid penalties. He's a, bu- a plus for us. Patty Maroon, got to love his presence in our lineup. He is one of those players who embodies the difference between last season and this season. Scrums after the whistle. He's laughing at the Boston Bruins as they try to intimidate him. He'll throw an extra elbow here, an extra shot there after the whistle. And, of course, he had the primary assist on Palat's winner in Game 2. Love what he brings to the table. Alex Kalorn, a couple of goals last night. Good to see. They come in bunches for Alex, so hopefully this is an opportunity for him uh, as a weapon on the power play or an an odd man counter chance as they are on the checking line. Keep it going, Kalorn. His feet have looked a little bit heavy, and I will say this. He had one assist last night. That was on the Braden Point breakaway goal. Of note on that shift, he made two awful plays leading up to the good pass. Redeemed himself, but let's get a little bit better on our zone exits. Let's play a little bit smarter, Kalorn, and stop taking stupid penalties. The smarter he plays, the better off we all are. For as much as we talk about Harvard and that guy, he is guilty of some low IQ hockey plays. Andre Palat, what more can you say? Last goal of game two, first goal of game three. He's been a stalwart for us, and he is... um, He'll never be one of the first three or four players you mention 
when you talk Tampa Bay Lightning hockey, but he's a glue guy, and he's more than that of late on the score sheet. Barclay, Goodrow, solid. That line continues to be solid with Yanni Gord in the middle and Blake Coleman on the wing along with Barclay. Speaking of Blake Coleman, well, another big game from him. Another huge game from him. He is a weapon in the penalty kill. He's a weapon in transition. He's not afraid to get his head and his nose in the dirty areas. And also, he's a really good quote. Very matter-of-fact He's not going to get too high with the highs, too low with the lows. Good for morale. I would expect of the players to be even keeled and ready to go for game four. Blake Coleman will be one of those. Braden Point continues to be our best player, at least at forward. And another goal. Welcome to the NHL to Boston's rookie netminder. First career start. Second or third shot he faces. It's Blake Coleman. I'm sorry. It's Braden Point on a breakaway. In the faceoff circle, let's see. Last night, he was nearly 70%. Braden Point has made a marked advancement in the dot year over year. That's really scary because he's got the ability to back check like Patrice Bergeron from Boston, but if he can continue to win big faceoffs, huge, huge for us. Kevin Shattenkirk last night played a better game than he has in a while, but he's a liability. He's got good offensive instincts, slow-footed, not great first pass out of a D zone, especially when we try to go D to D uh, before we exit. He's hold your breath guy, but he's played all right of late. Zach Bogosian has been a godsend for this lineup. Not only was it the goal that he set up in game two, in which he breaks through seemingly three or four Boston Bruins and sets up Blake Coleman, he's also just really tough on the puck. He never gives up on a play. He makes a lot of safe plays. He's not going to play 20 minutes a night. He only played 15 minutes last night, about the same the night before. But Bogosian has been a huge, huge pickup. I wanted Jan Ruda in over Zach Bogosian. I still think Jan would have been a good player if he wasn't unavailable. But Bogosian has not been a liability like Shattenkirk has and some others. Yanni Gord, a goal and an assist last night. The best part of Yanni's goal uh, 15 seconds after Andre Palats to put us up 2 to nothing is the patience he showed. You know, that, that's a scramble play. And in a weird way, it's a havoc play because a linesman sets a pick for you, but he waits out Halak and he finishes. Could it be that the BS goal off of Corpusalo's leg that is credited to Yanni Gord was the floodgate opener for 37 to look more like the version of himself two years ago? There's no doubt if you were to rank a top three or top four of Lightning players who have jump in their legs, Yanni Gord is a fixed position player in that group. Number two or number three. Always has jump. Braden Coburn, much like Luke Shen. I've always liked Coburn's game. It's more physical than his aw shucks kind of body language would suggest. He'll finish a check now. He'll jump in the rush, but he also knows his limitations, that he's got slow feet. And so he's been a pretty solid player for us. I, I fully expected that. Shen I was a little bit more worried about, but Coburn pretty much as advertised. Last night he played 18-35. Anthony Sorelli. Still a little bit on the anonymous side of the of the ledger. I continue to think that he's not 100% health-wise, uh, but he'll still make scrappy plays for you. Uh, he's on the top checking line. I know that they were the number two line entering the series, but let's call them what they are. They're the checking line for right now. Their job is to take care of uh, perfection in Boston. And what you, anything he does on the score sheet in terms of assists or goals, I think is a bonus right now. You just need him for substance plays. He was also 70% in the faceoff circle last night. Victor Hedman is we talking about this last night and, and the night. 
these kind of nights blend together a little bit, but that's the best defenseman that's ever going to put this jersey on. Unless Tampa Bay is incredibly fortunate to land another first ballot Hall of Famer, this is the best defenseman we're ever going to see. So enjoy watching him play. Offensive instincts. Um, one note on his game right now, I think it might be because of the injury that he's, that he's guarding against. Um, it might be fatigue, a combination of both. But skating backwards, Hedman is in a little bit of trouble. He lets guys leak behind him a little bit. And I'm not necessarily talking about Marshan on the back post for last night's goal, although that could be considered an example. If you're looking at two-on-two -two rushes or line rushes entering our zone, Hedy, if he's not the first defenseman on the puck and he's away from the puck, he's allowing Boston's forwards to approach the net unencumbered. And he's not always clogging the passing lane. So maybe that's a reason why he's not on power play one because skating backwards, it takes him an extra step or two. But the most important number with Victor Hedman last night was this number, 1803 ice time. After playing over 30 minutes and you're on a back-to-back, -back, that we are up by as many goals as we were in the third period affords Victor Hedman a lot of rest, almost a period's worth of rest. And that's got to be huge for Friday's game. Eric Chernak, below average play from Eric. There are some things he does really well. He's marking Marshan and Pasternak in the open ice much better than you would expect. But then the problem is on, on zone exits, first pass, he's been really below average. So it's a mixed bag for Chernak. He gets in front of shots, and he's got lighter feet when it comes to marking man-on-man, -man, but just in transition, get the puck off your stick, young man, and get it to somebody else because the longer he holds it, the worse I feel about getting out of the zone. Uh, Nikita Kucherov investing again. He looks locked in. I wondered after game one, and there were some quotes attributed to Kevin Shattenkirk, John Cooper, talking about how much more of a leader and outspoken Nikita Kucherov is. I wondered if that was a motivation ploy or if that was literally true because his, his play in game one would suggest that he was checked out, not more engaged. But he's looked apart the last two nights. You can see his game rounding into form. He's taunting Boston rather than being taunted by Boston. If he looks like he's looked the last two nights moving forward, we've got a really good chance of going the distance. But, he, you know, it's like anything else with this team, consistency. Will it be there? Uh, Mikhail Sergachev. So he scores a huge goal last night to put us up 3-0, but I just, if Victor Hedman's healthy, if he's healthy at all, I let that guy run the point for us. I, I just, I, there's nothing that Sergachev does better than Hedman when you're, you're talking about running the point in the power play. Like, zero things. So I don't know if it's an issue that you want to manage Hedman's minutes a little bit because you know that you're going to be leaning on him for 30 a night, and so... If Sergachev is a drop-off, but not that stark of a drop-off, you play 98 there. I don't know if it's that Hedman's injury concern is, is enough that you would rather have Sergachev out there as a healthy player. But all I know is what I see from Sergachev, which is indecisiveness. I see uh, near turnovers at the blue line, stupid decisions to shoot, telegraph shots, bad passes to the wing, like constantly on the wrong side of a player. For the right-handed, it's on the wrong side. Left-handed, wrong side. Maybe the goal in game three propels him forward but um you know he's been okay he's been okay and he's not your he's not your best player to run the point in the power play and then finally andre vasilevsky well he's been a rock for us he hasn't had to be the factor we know he can take over games he hasn't quite had to but a lot of key saves and steady eddie for a guy that looked a little bit shook confidence wise last year 
it's good to see that Vassy is in what appears to be a groove. Um, it's just something you've got to monitor moving forward. And the good news is, I, I thought, honestly, we could have gotten McElhaney in there last night at the 10-minute mark or even for the final media timeout. Uh, why not give Vassy a little bit of a breather? But considering that Boston was going through the motions and then uh, in real time, that third period was moving quickly, you know, maybe he would have gotten the leg pads off faster, but that's about it. So hopefully Vassy can steal us a game between now and the end of the series. I think he'll be called upon at some point, and you're going to have to make big saves against uh, that crew, that first line for Boston and the power play. But he's been solid. Nothing great, nothing terrible. Boston's missed a few open nets, but also they move the puck like banshees at times. That is your Great Bowl Breakdown. Give me a second to catch my breath. Alrighty, so the keys moving forward for me, uh, if the power play can continue to provide pressure, that would be great. Uh, you know, a goal a game, that'd be amazing. I think you win games when you score power play goals. If you're Tampa, considering the way we play five on five, as long as the official isn't gifting Boston a five on three or Boston doesn't have six or seven power plays, I think if we get just one, I mean, the likelihood that we're going to win goes way, way through the roof. But, you know, for me, it's a maturity question about are you going to be ready to go? Can you respond to the success you had in game three, the blowout that was that game? Can you look at it for what it is? A couple of bounces go your way and the thing snowballs on Boston rather than we're just that much better than Boston. In the past and as recently as in the Columbus series, the worst thing that can happen to us at times is that we get that positive reinforcement for working hard and we decide we can rest on our laurels. Stop that stuff. Game four is a chance to prove that we're taking another step in the right direction from where we are as a club, our mindset, and our philosophy. If that's there, I really like our chances to win twice more in four games because that's what it's going to take. Can you win two out of the next four games against Boston? If you do, you're moving on to the Eastern Finals. A quick word on the way out about the joy it is. And stay up late if you haven't, or tape it and watch it later. The joy that is the Colorado and Dallas series. Folks, this may be the best series all playoffs long across Eastern Conference and Western Conference. And I'm really glad the Colorado won last night because it affords us, at minimum, five games. I hope it goes seven. But if you're not paying attention, so Colorado's up two to nothing in game two, and Dallas scores three goals in a span of five, six minutes to take advantage. And then eventually Dallas puts on the afterburners and, and beats Colorado. I think it's seven to two, seven to three. And then in this most recent game last night, it's the late game after we were done. You've got Dallas take a one nothing lead, and Colorado scores three goals just, I mean, out of nowhere. Ten minutes, they control the game. Nathan McKinnon is unbelievable to watch. It's like watching a combination of Pasternak and Ovechkin and McDavid all in one. He's got violence to him, but grace at the same time. 29 for the Avalanche. Oh, my gosh. What a joy it is. So after it's 3-1 to one Colorado, here comes Dallas roaring back. They take a 4-3 to three lead. And you think, wow, they're going to go up 3-0 in this series in Colorado. They've got no more answers left. And then the Avalanche respond and win the game 6-4. to four. It is riveting offensive hockey, wide open, tons of skill. Yes. Tomorrow night after we're done in game four, Colorado, Dallas, keep the TV on the hockey. In fact, you'll have to flip over to NBC Sports for that game. But as a hockey fan, wow. 
what a way to decompress from watching lightning games and having your heart in your throat against a team like Boston. Dallas, Colorado, the gift that keeps on giving. Once again, as my voice is getting a little bit hoarse, I, I really appreciate the folks at Bill Curry Ford for sponsoring Hockey Talk in Tampa Bay. If we can be mature enough to be ready to go at the outset of Game 4, I like our chances. But that's not to say that we can, if we play well, we're going to win 100%. Boston can do more in a given game, even when we play well. They can do more than we can do. They're a really good team. Really good. I think this thing's going to go at least six. Might go the distance. So buckle in between now and the next time we talk, that series is over. Hopefully it goes our way, and we're talking for a few more weeks yet on the quest towards our second Stanley Cup. Thanks for tuning into the Joe Boltzmann Podcast. Until next time.